When does fear become a phobia? Phobia is defined by the American Psychological Association as, quote, extreme and irrational fears toward a certain stimulus that is grossly out of proportion to the actual threat at hand, end quote. So when the anticipation of what could or might happen outweighs your logical thinking and then continues to your mental and physical responses, it becomes a phobia because it's messing with your everyday life. Actually, many people suffering from phobias realize that the fear is irrational, but they feel that they are powerless to control it. The physical and mental stress is sometimes so debilitating that people will do whatever they can to avoid contact with the object of his or her fear, and will often spend time worrying about potential encounters. So, if your fear or phobia is toward the number 13, you're not going to want to stay on the 13th floor of a hotel, the 13th row of an airplane, or the 13th bed at a hospital. Don't you worry, you little Triskaidekaphobics, you. The world has heard your pleas. Welcome. My name is Elizabeth Bougere, and I'm that person that, when studying the many facets of history, likes to peek behind the curtain, investigate the hidden passages, drop into the rabbit hole, or dare to walk in the shadows, because we all know that's where the good stories can be found. Take a listen, then, to discover what dark or peculiar pieces of American history can be found this week from my bag of bones. Those suffering from phobias quickly learn that avoidance can reduce their anxiety. With a phobia, the avoidance and worry about potential encounters tends to grow bigger and interfere more with life over time, some to the point that they are incapable of leaving their house on the 13th day of the month. So, how does a phobia compare with a superstition? I'm so glad you asked. I knew you would, so I did the research for you. Superstitions are beliefs that make connections between events or actions that may or may not be unrelated. The beliefs are not based in science or rationalities and oftentimes have little to do with the outcomes. Like, there's no set of terrible things that are supposed to happen if a person sits in the 13th seat. It's just meant to be bad luck. That could amount to anything or nothing. Superstitions are common and are actually practiced by the majority of people in some form or another. When was the last time you said or heard someone say, good luck, or fingers crossed, or since I'm from a theater background, we would say break a leg, because saying good luck to a performer is actually bad luck. And I'm sure at some point in your life, you blew out the candles on a birthday cake hoping your wish would come true. Or how about find a penny, pick it up, Go on, you know the rest. Most participate in superstition but are not so invested that it interferes with their daily life. But those that do, that's when it tends to cross over to a phobia or becomes an anxiety. Superstitions are sometimes said to help those with anxiety better deal with it by giving them some kind of control over the unknown. If they pick up that penny, they know it's going to be a great day, for example. However, If you start grinding down mirror shards and try divination to see the future through bird's bones, we may have to sit down and talk. In general, the fear of the number 13 is considered more of a superstition than an actual phobia. But apparently, enough people let it rule their decision-making process that it has become an issue on a larger scale. This is where the term confirmation bias can stem from. 
This connects how your brain works for you so that what you look for, you will find. For example, in the superstition, bad luck comes in threes, and you feel you've experienced bad luck at least once yourself, you begin looking for the second and third occurrence. And you know what? You'll find it. You'll break a nail or hit every single red light or get pulled over for running a red light or drop your toast jelly side down. And the other time, it's just an annoyance. But this time, it fits into your bad luck trifecta. And then you can say, see, I told you, bad luck comes in threes. There's also the term intermittent reinforcement, which refers to events that may only occur randomly at a specific time, but the brain immediately picks up and clings to pattern, thus reinforcing the initial belief. This is probably where the phobia for Friday the 13th comes from. No, not the movie franchise. That's something else completely different. Think about how many times you say, Ugh, this always happens to me. Or, I'm always late on Mondays, as if it's the universe's fault. But apparently it's happened multiple times, though, and now your brain recognizes the pattern. Plus, you're saying it out loud. So it begins to think, Ah, there's something wrong with Mondays. But if your brain develops an anxiety around it, it will say, Oh, Mondays are bad. I shouldn't go out on Mondays. I'm just going to be late anyway. That's when it creates anxiety. The brain loves to find patterns and connections and tries to use things or events as signs for what is to come or why things happened the way they did. People need stuff to blame things on when life doesn't go as planned. Our brain looks for patterns to fill in the gap and creates a story to explain why the bad things happen just like around the number 13. The fear of the number 13 is mostly an American thing. Other cultures have different superstitions around their own numbers, but America picked 13. You still with me? So how did this happen for the number 13? Well, I have a couple possibilities for you, but I have to admit up front, they're both pretty weak. The majority of experts believe the fear of the number 13 comes from the Christian text. More specifically, the Last Supper. In the Bible, the Last Supper is the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before he was crucified on the cross. There were 12 disciples and Jesus. Here, Jesus told the others that one among them would betray him and called out Judas as the betrayer, which he did not deny. Judas arrived last and is considered the 13th man. Both Jesus and Judas die. In Norse mythology as well, there is a 13th man and a death following an important dinner. This was Loki, the god of mischief. He came uninvited to a dinner party hosted by Odin, who is like the king of Norse mythology. While there, mixing and mingling, Loki deceived the blind god Hodor, which is a son of Odin, and tricked him into shooting his own brother, Baldur, who was the god of light, joy, and goodness, with mistletoe-dipped arrow. This was the only thing that could hurt him, so it killed him instantly. So while the Norse story of the 13th dinner party guest was passed throughout Europe, and then the similar Christian event happened, it sealed the superstition of the number 13 at dinner parties. The rule became, if 13 dine, one will die within the year. Which, I mean, if you're going to use either one of those two stories to create your new phobia, 
you really shouldn't give them a year. All the deaths from these stories happened within a week. I'm, I'm just saying. But as one superstitious person explained in 1863, quote, Since the Last Supper, whenever there have been 13 persons assembled, one of them is sure to be a Judas, end quote. This belief was common enough to interrupt social occasions. Such known and respected people such as author Victor Hugo, former President Franklin D. Roosevelt, author Mark Twain, and even Napoleon would reportedly leave a table if exactly 12 other people were there. Side note, the book by Agatha Christie, 13 at Dinner, published in 1933, also plays on this theme. But in my mind, neither of those examples explain why America picked the number 13. If we used stories strictly from those as our main source, you'd think other countries would be on board with the number 13. But as I mentioned, it's mostly just an American thing. Hey everyone, it's Elizabeth Bougere here with Bag of Bones, and I have to tell you I am so excited to have Lumi deodorant as part of the Bag of Bones family. I aggressively campaigned to get Lumi on this podcast and my website, that's how much I love their products. They are all natural, and just because they're all natural doesn't mean they have to smell like dirt or baking powder. In fact, they don't even use baking powder. If you're tired of the store-bought brands that aren't doing their job and are ready to try something completely different in an assortment of scents, please give this a try. They have products for men and women, and they go far beyond just underarm deodorant. You have nothing to lose with their money-back guarantee, and when you use our direct link found in the show notes, you'll get free shipping on any order of $25 or more. Click the link in the show notes. Just give Lumi a try. Your friends and family will thank me later. Back when civilization was becoming, well, civilized, the number 12 is considered the perfect number. Calendars have 12 months. The day is divided into two sets of 12, 12 zodiac signs. 12 is a perfectly divisible number. And there were 12 tribes of Israel. So, is it really 13's fault that it has to follow the perfect number? Imagine the pressure. So if you already know you can't be as good, why not be equally as bad? The term Triskaidekaphobia was first used by author Isidore Coriat in his textbook Abnormal Psychology in 1911. And for all of you Ross and Joey fans from the sitcom Friends, Triskaidekaphobia is not the fear of Triscuits. It's the term given to the fear of the number 13. So, using our newly honed intermittent reinforcement, let's look at a few ways the number 13 got its own phobia. The deaths of Judas and Baldur notwithstanding, there are other reasons why the number 13 is not popular. For example, did you know that there is only 13 steps leading up to the hanging gallows? Others add that it's actually 12 steps up and one step down. Originally, a coven of witches has 13 members, but that is now, like, so outdated. You can have as many members as you'd like now. Maybe the witches caught the number 13 phobia. In the tarot world, to draw the 13th card means death. Hang on. When the tarot card of death comes up, it usually refers to change or rebirth. But if you draw it on the 13th day of the month, 
it might mean bad luck. Some say that if you have 13 letters in your name, you're bound to be cursed. And while you're counting up the letters of your name, consider that a surprising number of notorious murderers' names contain 13 letters. For example, Charles Manson, Jack the Ripper, Jeffrey Dahmer, Theodore Bundy, Harold Shipman, John Wayne Gacy, Albert DeSalvo, Adolphus Hitler, and Herman Mudgett, otherwise known as H.H. Holmes. And there are many others. Even horror author Stephen King is rumored to be afraid of the number 13. He wrote in 1984 article, quote, It's neurotic, sure, but it's also safer, end quote. The number 13 wasn't going to stop just there. Oh, no. It is known to double the anxiety level when you add a day of the week to it. Friday. Friday the 13th. And thanks to the movie franchise of the same name, we can be terrified on a whole new level. But if we want to go back and find historic significance to this combination of day and date, plus add a little intermittent reinforcement, it will all make perfect sense. Many of the information hubs will have you believe that we can blame Friday the 13th on both the Last Supper and the crucifixion of Jesus, but this is not so. The Last Supper happened on the 1st of the month, and that would put the crucifixion on the 3rd. April is the month in question, if you are curious. But there is another event that did happen on Friday the 13th, and it did have to do with the same time frame. At the Last Supper, Jesus drank from a cup that became known as the Holy Grail. A group of knights were formed to protect the precious artifact as well as other holy objects. The Knights Templar, as they were called, were recognized by their fierce fighting skills, high integrity, and their white mantles with red crosses printed on them. The Knights also had a side hustle. They acted as a bank of sorts. In fact, they created much of the banking infrastructure that we recognize today. When the Holy Land was lost following the Crusades, the Knights Templar lost a lot of their swagger. King Philip IV of France, who happened to be deep in debt with the Knights, used this lack of popularity to get out from under the debt he owed. On Friday the 13th, October of 1307, King Philip had many of the Order's members arrested and accused of Satanism and other crimes. They were tortured into giving false confessions and were then burned at the stake. The Knights of Templar were further disbanded, and the Holy Grail was lost. But now how Friday the 13th came to be in popular culture, I couldn't really discover. But it was a powerful enough superstition to sway commerce, redesign tall buildings, omit rows on airplanes, and make it disappear from hotels. Some buildings do not acknowledge a 13th floor, just skipping that number on the elevator panel. Other places don't have a number 13 room, hospitals don't have a number 13 bed, airplanes don't have a 13th row, airports don't have a gate 13. There are many, many businesses that have accommodated these superstitious fears. Some who believe in the superstition go so far as to stay at home on the 13th day of the month, especially if it falls on a Friday. And this means big losses for businesses. The entire city of Las Vegas, if you think about it, is where superstition plays a huge part in the minds of their guests. I'm sure you can imagine the impact of a Friday the 13th on their bottom line. In the majority of Las Vegas hotels and casinos, you would be hard-pressed to find a 13th floor or a room 13. 
In fact, in New York City, less than 5% of residential condo buildings in Manhattan and Brooklyn had a 13th floor. People tend to avoid big decisions or schedule events on Friday the 13th as well. Imagine what this means for the wedding industries. Their biggest event nights would be Fridays or Saturdays, but they confess to losing millions of dollars when a Friday the 13th shows up on the calendar. Anything having to do with travel as well. People avoid airports, train stations, and other modes of transport on that day, which do bring the accident stats down very low for that day. I don't think any other phobia has been so accommodating in the outside world. Mike Petranco of the Anxiety Disorder Clinic backs this up by saying, quote, Friday the 13th as a day when nothing good can happen is probably the most widespread superstition in the United States today. I've seen intelligent and rational people avoid scheduling an important event such as a wedding or buying a home. One study estimates that $800 to $900 million is lost in business on Friday the 13th because people stay home from work, refuse to fly, or engage in routine business, end quote. The sports world is pretty superstitious as well. Players have their lucky socks or lucky routine they go through, but they also chalk up the bad outcomes to superstitions. The number 13 on the jerseys of these players is to blame for Dan Marino in football and Steve Nash in basketball for their teams not making it all the way to the Super Bowl and the championship respectively. Both men are considered top in their sport, but the number 13 worn on their jersey kept them from their big wins, obviously. I thought, with Friday the 13th having such heavy connections to bad luck, there must have been lots of bad things that happened to confirm that, so I strolled back in history to see what I could find. There's surprisingly not much as far as headlining news. I'm sure that some of the atrocities that happened in every war in history fell on the 13th, or even a Friday the 13th, but I found nothing that made the people of the time write it down so the world knows of the terrors of that date. Okay, so, well, there's this one guy. His name is Sam Patch. He made a name for himself by jumping from very high, unsafe places into various bodies of water. He was only in his 20s by the time he decided to jump from the Passaic Falls in New Jersey. September 30th, 1827. He was gathering quite a crowd. He did this jump a few times and was soon known as Patch the Jersey Jumper. In 1829, he jumped 80 feet from a ladder extended out over the water near the base of Niagara Falls. The crowd loved it so much he decided to do it again, this time from 120 feet. 10,000 people came to watch it on October 17th of 1829. When he emerged from the river near the shore, the crowd went wild. He became a national sensation. Instead of taking his miraculous victory and living happily with it, he decided to tempt fate. On November 13, 1829, it was a Friday, 8,000 people gathered to watch Sam Patch jump from the Genesee Falls in New York to the river below. He built a platform that would increase his jump to be 125 feet. Some of the witnesses that day say it was a jump like any other, but some say it looked like he fell causing him to not hit the water feet first, as was his usual. This time, Sam Patch did not resurface, until spring. 
His frozen body was discovered in the ice in Charlotte, New York. He was buried in the Charlotte Cemetery with a wooden sign placed over his grave reading, Here Lies Sam Patch. Such is fame. As a mother of grown daughters and with me traveling alone across the country, personal safety is always on my mind. I am always aware of my surroundings. I always let my people know where and when I'm going places. But to add that extra level of safety, I am never unprotected. Thanks to Damsel in Defense, I have several options for my personal safety. And can I just say, they are super cute. But don't think that just because they have bling that they won't do some damage to allow you to get to safety. And Damsel in Defense has thought of everything. DNA grab, GPS alerts, and easy to carry and access should the need ever arise. For your safety and all the women in your sphere, I beg you to check out these amazing products at www.mydamselpro.net forward slash bones. That's www.mydamselpro.net forward slash bones. Frigga Triskaidekaphobia, which is the word that means fear of Friday the 13th. It can't be all bad, right? If we're really going to pull back the curtain, bad things happen every single day. They don't just wait for the 13th. If I were challenged to do a Bag of Bones episode daily, I could find enough stories in our history to support it. However, so many good things happen every single day, too even on the 13th, even, dare I say, on Friday the 13th. There are, after all, at any donut shop in America, that lovely thing called a baker's dozen, which is actually 13 donuts. A bonus donut! How can a bonus extra sweet treat ever be considered bad? Now be honest, even as I asked that last question, you were coming up with examples of how it could be bad, weren't you? This is another interesting facet about the brain. It tends to remember and bring up more bad or negative things that you've seen, experienced, or even just read about in order to protect us from harm. While it can fall under the confirmation basis that we talked about earlier and the what-you-look-for-you-will-find principle, your brain will store up all of this evidence why something is bad or dangerous before it will recall happy, or other events that may have happened on the same day, at the same time, or in the same article. We literally have to retrain our brains to look for and recall good things. So, if we look back, we can find just as many good things about the number 13, and even Friday the 13th. In biblical terms, we can start there. In the book of Exodus, it speaks of the 13 attributes of God including compassion for all creatures according to their need, be merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in kindness and truth. Blogger Dovey Shoshet explains the number 13 in the 13 attributes of God as a means of forgiveness and pardoning of sins. He says, quote, The number 13 signifies the infinite. The number 12 signifies constraint and order, example the 12 zodiac signs and the 12 months in the year. 
above order and control, 13 connotates boundlessness and immeasurability. The fact that there are 13 attributes of mercy teaches us that when God shows mercy, He does so without limit. No matter how far we fall, He will come to our aid and forgive us. End quote. America's history and foundations are heavily influenced by the number 13, the 13 colonies which began the nation for starters, and since they were pretty consistent, I'm 99% positive that that was the basis for all the rest of their decisions. Like the $1 bill. Have you looked at it closely? If you have an aversion to the number 13, you might want to steer clear of these paper curse carriers. If you take a moment to look, you'll see there are 13 arrows, 13 olive branch leaves, 13 olive fruits, 13 stars above the eagle, 13 steps of the pyramid, 13 bars of the shield, 13 pearls outside the circles, and bonus, but probably completely coincidental, Anuit coeptus and E pluribus unum both have 13 letters. Here's a couple other popular 13s I couldn't see us living without. There are 13 cards in each suit in the standard playing deck. Each of the four seasons have 13 weeks. If you turn the 13 around backwards, it becomes a 31, which represents the number of the days in most of our calendar months. Despite there being an onboard explosion, Apollo 13 turned out to be a successful mission. It completed its landing on the moon, returning to Earth, and everyone survived. Our children become teenagers when they turn 13. Well, wait, I guess this one could go into either column. Singer-songwriter Taylor Swift told MTV, quote, I was born on the 13th. I turned 13 on Friday the 13th. My first album went gold in 13 weeks. My first number one song had a 13-second intro. Every time I've won an award, I've been seated in either the 13th seat, the 13th row, the 13th section, or row M, which is the 13th letter. Basically, whenever a 13 comes up in my life, it's a good thing. End quote. Going back to sports, Kurt Warner, formerly of the St. Louis Rams, chose the number 13 for his jersey to prove the number held no power. He did take the team to the Super Bowl and won. Warner is the only undrafted player to be named NFL MVP and Super Bowl MVP, as well as the only undrafted quarterback to lead his team to a Super Bowl victory. He has said, quote, A lot of negative things come with the number 13. My life is never dictated by superstitions. My faith is first and foremost. If you believe that God's in control, there is no reason to believe in superstitions. End quote. One former Cardinal Hall of Famer wore the number 13 on his jersey for different reasons. His full name, Donald Maynard, has 13 letters, and the M is the 13th letter of the alphabet. Maynard also considered the birthdays of his father, July 13th, his sister, August 13th, and his wife, September 13th, and his wedding anniversary, December 13th. Growing up, Maynard attended 13 schools. And... Searching the news headlines, I found a couple that definitely belong in the good column. October 13, 1967, is when President Lyndon B. Johnson signed an order stating that the government couldn't discriminate based on gender when it came to employment. Also, the iconic Hollywood sign was dedicated on Friday the 13th of July in 1923, and Tinseltown is still going strong. Some throw caution to the wind by actually 
celebrating the day. The Frigga Triskaidekaphobia Treatment Center, an organization located around Philadelphia, hosts parties helping people confront some common phobias like walking under ladders and opening umbrellas indoors. But the granddaddy of them all has to be the 13 Club. These crazy guys laughed and celebrated in the face of fear and phobia and created a club of skeptics to prove the superstitions wrong and having a good time doing it. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but do you know that the Ragtag Network has its own merch? You can get merch for your favorite shows such as Bag of Bones, Save Me an Aisle Seat, or Total Tomfoolery. Just visit www.ragtagnetwork.com merch now to check things out. By the late 1880s, club life meant something different from electronic thumping music, brightly colored lights in dark buildings made up of dance floors and restrooms. It was a gathering on smaller scales. And there was food. These were sometimes hosted by different homes or more often in restaurants and hotels. For a time, they were only attended by gentlemen, and it was by invitation only. They would serve lavish several-course meals. Many would have themes, some silly, just to have an excuse to gather. Some would be philanthropic in nature. Some would discuss politics and other important social matters. But mainly, it was an opportunity to hang out with friends, make new acquaintances, and perhaps do a bit of business on the side, all while eating food. Probably the most famous and the one to set the standard would be the Knickerbocker Club. It was a gentleman's club in New York City that was founded in 1871. It's not the oldest, but probably the most prestigious. It is considered to be the most exclusive club in the United States and one of the most prestigious and selective clubs in the world. The 13 Club, however, was founded in 1881 by Captain William Fowler. The story goes that he was a regular guest for a dinner at the home of one of his acquaintances, and one evening he was put out when the hostess turned away her nine-year-old daughter from dining with them because it would equal thirteen around the table. It bothered him that such prejudices existed, and suddenly he was tired of it. In looking back over his own life, the number thirteen had been pretty good to him. He graduated from P.S. 13 school at age thirteen, During his time as an architect, he built 13 public buildings. He fought and survived the Union Army, surviving 13 battles, and then retired on August 13, 1863. Shortly thereafter, he purchased a cottage on the 13th of the month, which he eventually sold on Friday the 13th of April, 1883. And Captain Fowler belonged to 12 social clubs. That is, until... Captain Fowler was remembered to have an infectious sense of humor and a flair for the macabre, sometimes going a bit overboard, people would say, but he embraced it and ran with it, just to see what would happen. It took him almost a full year to find twelve men who would dare to dine with him at a table set for thirteen. But once he did, it was on. In April of 1882, the New York Times would write, quote, The atmosphere was funereal and suggested a feast at which undertakers only were bidden, That was because all the guests were requested to wear black suits, neckties, and top hats. Before getting to the first course of a 13-course meal, or before selecting any of the wines from a wine list printed to look like a gravestone, the gentleman had to walk through the door under a ladder, open an umbrella, yes, indoors, 
and tip over salt and not be allowed to toss it over their shoulder, come what may. They were greeted by a large banner that read, Nos mortituri, salute a moose, Latin for, We who are about to die, salute you. The table was in the shape of a coffin and adorned with exactly thirteen candles. The lobster salad was also shaped as a coffin. Each serving of crawfish were at number thirteen. Even the cake for dessert had a black cat decorating it. The story goes that on their first scheduled meeting, only twelve showed up. They drank and chatted and waited for the thirteenth, but he still hadn't arrived. Just as they were getting ready to sit down to dinner, Fowler grabbed a most unwilling waiter that just happened to be in the wrong place at the right time and was about to induct him into the society when number 13 finally arrived, much to the frightened young waiter's relief. The first of 13 toasts began, and the first social club to defy superstition became official. Not everyone was so keen on the irreverent theme. One reporter of the New York Times wrote, quote, the club has shown that it is as ignorant of the nature of ill luck as it is reckless in trifling with it, end quote. A year later, the 13 Club happily announced to the Times, quote, out of the entire role of membership, whether they have participated or not at the banquet table, not a single member is dead or has even had a serious illness, end quote. Club activities would include everything from smashing mirrors to mock trials of people who acted suspiciously. The events of the club did eventually spill out into main society, attempting to normalize things that most considered superstitious. They encouraged the judges not only conduct their hanging sentences to be carried out on Fridays, you know, change it up a bit. The club expanded and grew, noting new versions in London, France, and other parts of the United States. At one of their New York gatherings, a record-setting 400 members attended. It expanded in other areas as the 13 Cycle Club, which took the macabre indoor activities out of doors to include clam bakes and picnics. In 1891, after conquering most of the superstitions, they reached their peak, crossing over into the last of the superstitious phobia frontier. They invited women to join their club. Only for certain dinners, of course, let's not get crazy. Each of their guests would receive a bottle of perfume that had a skull-shaped stopper. Two years later, women decided to create their own chapters of the 13 Club. The New York Times would report on July 7th, quote, Captain William Fowler died suddenly of apoplexy, which is usually like a stroke or hemorrhage of sorts, at 7 o'clock yesterday morning at his home in Jersey City. He was apparently in splendid health when he retired Monday night at 9 o'clock, but when called yesterday morning, he was unconscious and died soon after, end quote. The article would later go on to say, Quote, he was well known to famous men of the last generation, end quote. This was referring to the high-profile members of his little social gatherings. According to the New York Historical Society, no less than four presidents were members, Grover Cleveland, Jester Arthur, Benjamin Harrison, and also Theodore Roosevelt. As a final thought, you know, there's always going to be someone who challenges everything fun or frivolous, or anything in general. And one such reporter dared question the 13 Club along the lines of, So you are immortal? Impervious to bad things happening? And so on. I'm paraphrasing, of course. 
But Mr. W. H. Blanche, who is the founder of the London edition of the 13th Club, so elegantly and cleverly responded, quote, Only one had died since the club was established four years ago, and that particular member had not paid his subscription, end quote. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bag of Bones. As we are on the 13th episode of our second season, I'm following the 13 Club playbook and daring to look onward to a positive and amazing year. I am so thankful to all of you who tell your friends about the podcast. 2022 is sure to be a year of growth here at Bag of Bones. I absolutely can't wait. With every episode, I am learning about the diversity of our listeners and the history you can't get enough of. Thank you for your feedback, both personal and as reviews or social media follows. It's going to be a great year. I'm Elizabeth Bougeret. Until next time. Bag of Bones is created and hosted by Elizabeth Bougeret, produced by the Ragtag Network and History Revisited, music by Johnny Reed. To learn more about the show, visit elizabethbougeret.com. For more podcasts from the Ragtag Network, visit their website at www.ragtagnetwork.com. Copyrights by Elizabeth Bougeret and DCT Enterprises.